Hey, we're, um, we're starting a new sermon series today, uh, leaving a legacy. To see the graphic is passing a baton uh, to another person, and you can leave all kinds of different legacies. Uh, you can leave a financial legacy, uh, obviously. You can leave a legacy of a, of a business or career, and all those are well and good. But obviously in a church setting, we're talking about leaving a legacy of faith. We're talking about passing the baton off from one generation to the other. And as I read God's Word, that's the way this is supposed to happen. As I read God's Word, the way it's supposed to happen is that the faith is nurtured in the family. And the family passes on the faith. Now that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with what we understand to be evangelism and witnessing to our friends. There's unbelievable right things about that, okay? But the primary way that the Bible gives you for passing along the faith is within the family. From generation to generation. And being able to leave a legacy of faith. Now when you define the word uh, legacy, when I looked it up this morning on Google, I found this uh, for a definition of legacy. Something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past. And that could include a whole lot of things, obviously. But in the context of the church, we're talking about passing on the faith, passing the baton from one person to another. What I want to tell you in all the messages, and we're going to be here, Nate will, Nate will go somewhere different, well, kind of, but he'll, he'll go a little different way next week. But when I come back uh, after the revival that I'm preaching, uh, we'll stay with this. And I'm going to say the same thing as kind of an overarching big idea for every single message. And here's what I want to say. What we leave behind, what we leave behind is a result of how we live, not what we believe. What we leave behind, and I'm talking about in the area of faith. What we pass on. If we pass the baton from one person to another in this whole area of faith, it has a whole lot more to do on how we live than it does on what we believe. Okay? Now, you may think that that's something odd for a preacher to say in a, in a, in a church setting when we talk a lot about what we believe. But obviously, if what you believe is truly legitimate and is part of you and not just words from a mouth, it will have effect on how you live. But if that, but if that belief or that pseudo-belief doesn't show up in your lives, friends, you're not going to pass it on. You're not going to pass it on. Because your kids from a very, very young age are seeing the real you, not just what you say. They're seeing the real you. And what you will pass on in, in, in the areas of faith has everything to do with how you live and not just what you say you believe. And that's an important concept. I remember, I remember when I was a, a basketball coach. And I think my last year of basketball coaching, I was 34, 5, something like that. And so when I started coaching, when I was like 22, I was in pretty good shape, and, and I was coaching high school, and so I was better than any kids on the floor, and, and I could get out there and show them uh, what I wanted to do, uh, what I needed them to do. And then I went coaching college, and I wasn't as good as my players. And then I was getting older, too, and I didn't have as much wind, and I, I couldn't play as hard. And, 
And every now and then when I was out there on the floor, and, and even I would be scrimmaging with them sometimes, and I would be out there scrimmaging with them, and I was old and older and uh, wasn't in good shape, and, and I would every now and then when I'd dog it or, or get lazy or do something that I shouldn't do, I'd say, do as I say, not as I do. Now, that may work for a 34-year-old basketball coach, but that don't work for anybody that's trying to pass on the faith. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. What we leave behind in the matters of faith is a result of how we live, not what we believe, or at least what we say we believe. Jesus talked a little bit about this. I'm taking this verse a little bit about, out of context, but it still applies right here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus' words here, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, obviously, if, if, if you truly, truly believe it's going to have to show up in your life. Whatever you believe, I mean truly believe, not just what you say you believe. Whatever you truly believe will show up in your life. Okay? And, but it's not just what you say. And Jesus says, you know, you can say a lot of things. It, you, 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 a lot of us have been in church long enough, we know the words to say. I, I knew the words to say because I was raised in church. I knew the words to say, and I was living way out there in the world, but I knew the words to say. I've told you this before. I can remember I was, I don't know where I was. I was coaching basketball someplace, and I prayed a prayer to start, uh, you know, before we went, took the floor or whenever it was, I remember. And some of my assistant coaches looked at me like, where'd you learn to do that? I knew the words to say. It didn't show up in my life. And I wasn't going to pass it on to anybody. Because <laughs> it didn't show up in my life. Bishop William Temple, you don't know that name, but he's a rather influential figure in, in England because he was a Bible-believing Anglican priest before, when they were still kind of Bible-believing. And he was kind of ostracized because he was a very conservative Bible-believing bishop. And William Temple said this. He said, the most influential of all educational factors is the conversation in a child's home. Isn't that fascinating? Of all the educational factors, and I assume that there would be a lot of them. We could spend time talking about that, but we're not. There's a lot of things that influence a child's education, but the most important is the conversation that goes on in the home. Now, what he meant is not the conversation when guests are there. Because when guests are there, we're not really ourselves. We're, we're our best selves, let's say that. Hopefully we're not fake, but we're our best selves. <laughs> but our kids, at a very learn, young age, learn to pick up on what's really, really important to us. And not just what we say is important. We know to say the right things. I will never, ever pass the baton of faith to the next generation unless I live out that faith. Never. Never. Now when we talk about passing the baton, yeah, obviously, Mark and Sue are passing the baton to Christopher and Levi 
But it's way bigger than that. It's way bigger than that. I'm 63, okay? I have no clue when my kids will get married. I have no clue when they'll have kids. But it's very easy to say at 63, I may not ever live long enough to see my grandkids. Who knows? I I, I may, but I'm 63, okay? I definitely won't live long enough to see my great-grandkids. So when I pass the baton off to Christopher and Levi... I'm not just passing it on to Christopher and Levi. I'm passing it on to all the generations that will come from Christopher and Levi. So it's not just Mark. I got to make sure my boys. Yeah, that's that's a big deal. But there are grandkids and great-grandkids and great-great-great-grandkids that I will never see or never ever know their names that will benefit from my faith. Because if I didn't pass it on to Christopher and Levi, then Christopher and Levi wouldn't have anything to pass on to. And they wouldn't have anything to pass on to. And that's how the faith is supposed to be passed on. From generation to generation. And so do we look at our homes, do we look at our homes as kind of holding tanks to the kids are are, are 18 or 22 or whatever it is do we look at them as holding tanks or do we see them as as boot camps and that's not hyperbole there friends i mean a, a home is where you're trying to train the kids it's not it's, it's just not keeping them fed and keeping shelter over them and and teaching them to say yes sir and, and no ma'am it's it's for a few short, I just can't believe I got a child that's 19, I got a child that's 17. Where did those years go? And, and the, to be quite honest with you, most of the influence that I have on my boys has already happened. I will still have influence, and I will never, ever give. I heard a parent one time say, well, they're 18. What can I do about it? Ooh, come on. I will have influence. I will never give up my obligation and the right that I have into speaking to my boy's life till the day I die. Now, obviously, that changes as they get older. But I hope they'll always, always would be able to receive from their father. And I will never give up that right to do that. And see our home as a training ground and not just a boot camp. The root wisdom that I've learned that God has taught me is, is that wisdom that I've gained is meant to be given away. That's what the whole book of Proverbs is about. The whole book of Proverbs is, is wisdom that I've gained, and thus I'm to give it away. I'm to be able to pass it on. Wisdom is not just given for me. And the whole book of Proverbs was written that way because Solomon wrote it to his son. And so the wisdom that Solomon has learned through the ages, through God, he sees that as something that he's got to pass on as well wisdom gained is meant to be wisdom given in fact he says that in the very first chapter of proverbs 
chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 is where he says that. He says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adore your neck. Wisdom gained is wisdom to be given. And that's how legacies are passed. That's how the baton is passed. That's how the faith is passed from one generation to another, to another, and to another. Now, one of the most scariest verses in the whole Bible is, is, shows the negative of this, shows what happens when this generation to generation to generation thing doesn't happen. It's found in Judges 2.10. Now, before you, before you go there, turn, scratch it, scratch it before you go there. Uh, good, 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 good. Before you go there, let's, let's remember where the book of Judges is. The Israelites have been freed from Egyptian bondage. God has miraculously, through miracles that he's done and plagues that he brought on the Egyptian people, has freed his people from Egyptian bondage. He's freed them by the parting of the Red Sea. And they are now in the promised land, the land that God has promised them. But now, Karen, Judges chapter 2, verse 10, is an unbelievably scary verse. After that whole generation had gathered up to their ancestors, after they died, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Are you telling me? That I was a generation that took the promised land, crossed the Red Sea, saw God miraculously rescue us from centuries of Egyptian bondage. And the next generation after me has somehow forgotten what the Lord has done for Israel. There's lots of reasons the faith can not be passed on. I mean, one thing is you can't force your kids to believe. It's impossible. You can't do that. They have free will. You can be as intentional as you possibly can, and you must be intentional. It doesn't happen by accident. But kids will make their own choices. Kids will make their own choices. But that does not negate at all any of our intentionality to try to pass on the faith. And it seems like this verse to me, I know I'm reading between the lines, but would you agree with me that this verse is putting the onus on the previous generation? It says, after that, a whole generation... After that whole generation had been died, another generation grew up, and they didn't know. Neither the Lord. And they didn't even know what he had done, which says to me, stories, testimonies weren't passed down. This to me seems to put the generation, uh, seems to put the onus on this generation not passing the baton to the next generation. And how in the world can this generation, if they didn't get the baton passed to them, how can they pass it to the next? So I'm trying to pass my faith on 
and Sue is trying to pass her faith on to Christopher and Levi, we're passing it on to a lot of other Christophers and Levi's that we don't even know yet. And that's how Christian lineage and heritages, heritage starts. Joshua, at the end of his life, was speaking to the people of Israel, and you know this verse, and I can't give you the whole context of this, but he's close to the end of his life, and he's speaking to all the nation of Israel. And he's saying this. He says, he's basically told them to serve the Lord, but then he says, you know, if serving the Lord is undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Now, you can serve the the. Uh, the gods of the ancestors and the Euphrates or land of the Amorites and who you're living, you can, you can do that. But here's what me and my family is going to do. That's a marvelously practical verse. And, and, and that tells you, first of all, that, that you can walk with God and your family can walk with God even when the people around you aren't. You can serve the gods... Uh, of, of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you are now living. You, you, you can serve these gods and you can, you can live like these people live. You can do it if you want to. But as for me and my house, that's how legacies are passed. Now, you can't guarantee that your son's going to believe, but you can guarantee that your son will be raised in a certain way. And if he or she chooses not to believe, he'll have to legitimate, he'll have to turn his back or her back on the training that they've had in the boot camp that they've been raised in. As for me and my, hear the intentionality there in those words? As for me and my household. Can I, can I slip in something here? As for me, Joshua said, and my household, do you know it's about a million times easier to pass the baton of faith if you marry within the faith? Do you realize how hard it is? Excuse me. Let me say it this way. How much harder it is to pass on a heritage of faith when a husband marries an unbelieving wife or a believing wife marries an unbelieving husband. Do you realize, if you have a goal of passing the baton of faith, if that's a goal of yours, do you realize how much more difficult you've made it for yourself if you don't, can be able to say, as for me and my household, and it's really, really hard for me to say, as for me and my household, if my spouse is not walking in step in an agreement with me. Now, friends, let's just be honest. And let's get really, really personal. Because the Bible's a personal book, right? There's people in this room right now that could stand up and testify to that truth. I'm not saying you don't love your wife, you don't love your husband. I'm not saying that at all. But you can testify to that truth. Sue, Sue came up to me afterwards, the first service, 
and she gave me a big hug. She says, that's from so-and-so. I said, what do you mean? She said, and this woman is married to an unbelieving husband. And she says, thank you for telling the truth. And friends, that's uncomfortable. So as early as my boys date, they both heard that from me. They both heard that from me. And why are you even starting a relationship? Why are you even having a casual date that could blossom into something else as emotions and hormones take over? If you don't have the same thing and it's not going to go, or they're just kids, Mark. Yeah, I know. But why would I allow that to go? There's been times that my boys have come home and talked about some girl, and you know, we've asked them about da 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 da. And we've tried to be gracious. You know, you, you don't win doing that. You know, we try to be gracious as gracious as no Kentucky redneck can be, you know. And, but then Sue will come up to me later and say, we're not, we're not encouraging this relationship, are we? Our boys have free will. Intentionality for me to pass it on the baton from one person to another takes intentionality. And can I say something that's extremely politically incorrect? The world would start throwing stones at me. Call me a bigot, call me a sexist, call me a Neanderthal. Can I tell you that in a two-parent family, the onus falls on the male? And I love you all, but if you disagree with me on that, you're just plain wrong. <laughs> I, don't, I can't explain it, but this book... And my 26 years as a pastor have shown me that if the father walks with the Lord, there's a whole lot greater chance for the children to walk with the Lord than if the mother alone is walking with the Lord. I've seen it over, and I'm not putting down women. I'm not putting down women. I'm just saying it just seems the way it works out. Paul writes, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul writes, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I'm so thankful for every mother who's doing her level best. Every single mom, every mom that's, that's the spouse of an unbelieving husband. I'm so thankful for all the mothers that are doing their dead level best on that. But it's not the way it was supposed to be. As for me and my house. Teach it, parents. Don't compromise on it, parents. Because it's one of the ways that faith stops with a generation. 
and doesn't get passed on. And doesn't get passed on. And doesn't get passed on. Quickly, Proverbs chapter 2 is a fascinating passage of Scripture that, that I love. I used to have it memorized. I don't think I do anymore. But here again, Solomon writing to his son, wisdom gained is wisdom given. Wisdom gained is wisdom given. It's not just to be gained. My son, if you accept my words and store my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight, see all the onus he's putting on the child there. If you do this, if you do this, if you do this. If you cry out for understanding and you look for it, as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. If you, if, you, if you go after God as much as you go after your money and your career, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand. Fascinating, this next verse. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Isn't that fascinating? I don't think I would have expected that next verse to be there. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. You want to pass on the faith? You want to leave a legacy of faith? I don't know if this is like the number one thing, but it's certainly up there close to the top. Your kids have got to have a healthy fear of God. And we don't talk about that too much. And that's probably my fault. We talk about loving God, and, and that's absolutely right. We talk about having a close, personal, intimate relationship with the Lord, and that's right as well but all the way through the Bible Old Testament and New we hear about the fear of the Lord and this wisdom gained this having wisdom is not the opposite of the fear of the Lord because in Proverbs 9 10 Solomon writes the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom the beginning of wisdom I love my dad You've heard me talk about my dad lots of times. You've heard me talk about my dad more than I talked about my mom. That's not because I love my dad any more than I've loved my mom, but because dad was dad, he probably impacted my life more. Can I say that honestly without saying it sounding bad? Because he was a dad, he was a father, and he did what fathers are supposed to do. And I loved him. My dad was a big softy. My dad never laid a hand on me. He was just a big softy. Mom whopped me really good several times. But dad... <laughs> but I feared my dad. I respected my dad. I didn't want to disappoint my dad. His frown of disapproval was worse than any backhanded lick my mother could give me. How do you define the fear of the Lord? I, I, I think it's absolutely necessary to pass the baton. How, how, how do you define that? Well, I'll be quite honest with you. I don't think the Bible defines it really well. Not that I'm criticizing the Bible. I just think it talks about the fear of the Lord and and, and, but for me, 
for me where I am, the simplest definition for us all, whether we're teenagers or whether we're 80 and 90 years old, fear of the Lord is taking God seriously. Fear of the Lord is taking God seriously. More than just showing up on Sunday morning, more than just saying a little prayer before a meal, it's taking God seriously. Now, the obvious question is how you take God seriously. And that would probably be a whole sermon series in and of itself, but it works out for you differently than it works out for me. Fearing God is a healthy respect for him that God will do what he says he's going to do. And I don't want his hand of discipline on me. And he loves me enough that he'll allow me to reap what I've sown. And I do not want the hand of Almighty God's discipline on me. I fear that because God's God. And God loves me enough to discipline me. You tell me my boys get out of line and I let them get away with it, let them get stiff, stick it under the rug, don't exercise any consequences for that. Are you telling me that I love them? I may have an emotional love for them, but I don't have a biblical understanding of that. Fear, fear of God is, is, fear of the Lord is taking God seriously. And that maybe the first thing that you need to do or start doing or correct or something are there ways in your family, father, mother, grandfather, grandmother, is there ways in your family that you can be taking God more seriously and the things of God more seriously? See, you pass on to your kids what you take seriously in life. I, well, I want to pass on love for the Ohio State Buckeyes, but I never go to the games, and I never watch it on TV, and I never uh, check the Internet and see what the score was, and I never read it in the newspaper. I just came to tell you today that uh, if you want to leave a legacy of faith, it's, it's just way, way, way more about how you live than what you say you believe. You will not pass on what you say you believe if it's in conflict with the way you live. If those things are like this, you will not pass on things you just simply say. <laughs> so we're going to try to flesh this thing out for the next few weeks. I'm not here to bring condemnation on anyone. Listen, I'm an imperfect parent, and there's been times when both, I've had to go to both of my boys and apologize because I wasn't the dad. That was not a Christian thing to do. That was not a Christian thing to say. God is not looking for perfect people. He's looking for people that take him seriously. And part of taking him seriously is confessing. And not only confessing to him, it's confessing to the people that you have let down Nothing shows your kids 
that you're more serious about something than when you apologize to them and humble yourself enough to apologize to them. They remember those things. So, we've all messed this up. And I stand first in that line. And because of the grace and forgiveness of God, we get a clean start every day. A clean start every single day. And it really helps to get a clean start if you'll clean the slate by apologizing. Own up to the truth. God will give you a clean start. Our servers are coming to the table. I don't know where this message has hit you. That there's probably something... Um, when I said take God seriously, there may have been something that came to your mind. That ways that you could take God seriously. Your, 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 your son, your daughter's not walking with the Lord. This message was not meant to bring condemnation to you because I know that children have free will. And I don't, I don't have the answers to why good and godly parents sometimes are unable to pass the faith along. I don't have those answers, friends. I don't have, if you, you need to get another pastor if you want those answers. I don't have them. But I know that it won't get passed on without intentionality. And today I just centered on taking God seriously. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom gained is wisdom given. Lord, help us with this. There's not a single parent, there's not a single grandparent in this room who can't look back and say, I wish I hadn't done that, wish I hadn't said that, wish I did that differently. There's not a single one of us that in some way have done something that didn't help us pass the faith along. Father, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the clean slate that's provided for us through confession. By the blood of Jesus, we thank you for that. And help us leave this place today with a new resolve, knowing we'll be empowered by your grace to pass the baton to the next generation so they will be able to pass it to the next and the next and the next. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.